Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Hey. I've had a really long day, so I'm kind of bracing myself because this is a lot of a heavy uh, information episode. Yeah, I don't even know what you're doing today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do we have patrons? We, um, you know, I was going to skip patrons this week and do them all next week since we literally just read them a few days oh, ago. Oh, right. Okay. But, you That's know, fine. no, I'll just, I'll read our two patrons we had in the past two days. Okay. So They deserve a special. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much to Danielle and Julie for donating over at Patreon.com. Dot com slash Hollywood crime scene. Thank you guys. Yeah. So Rachel, this is a story I've wanted to do for a while and it has a lot of elements that are specific to my interest, <laughs> such as insane socialite. Love it. Uh, a weird mother child relationship and incest. <laughs> wow. Desi. <laughs> You just take away the socialite and it's literally your childhood. I know. So obviously I have a special connection to that type of story. Yeah. Um, this is a story that inspired a movie. So this is a movie versus reality. And the movie is called Savage Grace. It stars Julianne Moore, Eddie Redmayne, and Hugh Dancy. And it tells the story about the demented relationship between a beautiful socialite named Barbara Daly Bakeland and her son, Tony. So let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, uh, the details, some of the details I know about the story. Uh, wow. Yeah. Let, let's get to let's it. Let's get to it. Yeah. I have a lot, lot of it's information. Okay. So Barbara Daly was born in 1922 in Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. <laughs> Shut up, Rachel. <laughs> and her life was basically full of trauma almost from the start. When she was just 10 years old, her father killed himself by carbon monoxide poisoning, doing the sort of thing in the garage with the exhaust from the car. Yeah. He actually made it look like an accident so that the family could get this valuable life insurance policy that he had set up. So after the father dies, the wife and mother, I'm sorry, the wife and daughter they're pretty well off at this point now. Yeah. They have this big life insurance policy. They leave Boston and move to New York City where they live in the Delmonico Hotel, which is literally like a dream of mine to kind of live in a hotel for a few years. <laughs> like I eventually want my own place, but it does sound kind of fun to just live in a hotel. Totally. Like, don't you think? Um, so her mom is like, obviously her father had some problems going on. The mom also had a nervous breakdown at some point. And Barbara herself at this point has a history of mental health issues. She's in therapy regularly, like basically her whole childhood and well into her adult life. Uh, she's even the patient of a celebrated New York psychiatrist at the time called Foster Kennedy. Years later, after a lot of this shit goes down, Foster Kennedy eventually tells her future husband Someone told me years later that when Foster Kennedy heard that I had married Barbara Daly, he said, God forbid that that woman have a child. Ooh. Well, let's just say, <laughs> foreshadowing, she does. <laughs> uh, so... Barbara was also incredibly beautiful. She was considered one of New York's 10 most beautiful girls and became a very popular socialite on the scene. She had like red hair. Like she was just very movie star. Oh, Desi. I know. You know how it is when you have red hair. <laughs> it's just hard not to be stunning. <laughs> uh, so she eventually begins working as a model for Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Uh, she's like a big fixture in high society and she's constantly surrounded by wealthy suitors. Now, she's so beautiful, in fact, that she goes out to Hollywood. She's flown out to Hollywood to screen test for a role opposite an actor named Dana Andrews, who was pretty big at the time. It was while she was in Hollywood that she meets a young actress named Cornelia Bakeland, who introduces Barbara to her younger brother, Brooks Bakeland, who at that time was a trainee pilot with the Royal Canadian Air Force. Now, Brooks and Barbara 
almost immediately become an it couple. They're like both really good looking and charming and young and, you know, on the scene. Uh, He comes from the Bakeland family, which made their fortune in America around the turn of the 20th century when Brooks's grandfather, Leo Bakeland, who was a chemist, invented Bakelite, the world's first plastic. Now, Brooks himself, as I mentioned, he's a good looking guy. He's also very arrogant. Um, he, He used to go around saying things like his grandmother gave him fuck you money. And as we all know, that means like you can just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. That's how rich you are. He also kind of fancied himself kind of a writer. Um, he considered himself an intellectual. He's so relatable, does he? I know. Uh, so, and then he hooks up with this woman who was pretty much uh, a party girl. Like she likes being on the scene and partying and he kind of despises that world. So from the get-go, it's like a really weird match in that regard. But they got married in California after Barbara lied to him saying she was pregnant. Now, I saw this described several times as a phantom pregnancy. So I don't know if that's what she laid on him. (laughs) And that might be a legit thing where you think you're pregnant. That is a thing. It's very rare, but there is something that happens, like that has happened. Where you start having the symptoms. Where women have have had the symptoms of being pregnant. They even have a distended belly at some point. Right. It's a very rare condition. I don't think that's what she had. You think she was trying to trap him? I think she was trying to trap him, probably. Yeah. Uh, But there's no... That's all I saw. There was no really big investigation of it. So after they get married, they move back to New York City's Upper Upper East Side and get like a nice posh apartment, obviously. And their relationship is pretty much troubled from the start. Barbara had really at this point gotten a reputation for her erratic behavior, like already. She was a very unstable person. She suffered from depression. I mean, despite the fact that she's in all these therapies, like she wasn't really taking care of herself that well. Uh, He was having affairs. She was drinking a lot of alcohol. So classic socialite situation, right? (laughs) Like unhappy marriage and she starts partying hard. Um, There's some pretty funny stories about this early part of their life or their marriage. One friend once said that Brooks, they were all out to dinner and he joked that for a million dollars, he would agree to sleep with the next woman who passed through the restaurant's doors as if that's such a (laughs) hard task for a man. Right. Right. And Barbara got like furious. Well, he said also regardless of what she looked like or how old she was. So I guess it was a little more daring and Barbara got furious and she, uh, got up and started to run out. And she's like, if that's how you feel, I'll just go off with the first man who comes along in a car. He said this in front of his wife? He said it in front of his wife, and then that's her retaliation. She runs out of the restaurant and flags down a car with four young guys in it. And I'm going to get gangbanged. (laughs) I'm going to get a train run on me, you fucking asshole. (laughs) I'll show you. So she gets into this car with four young guys and drives off into New York City uh, night. You know what? Good for her. Yeah. I I mean, I I I can't fault her. So, I mean, people start getting actually kind of frightened because she's gone uh, for multiple hours and then eventually comes home. Um, She says that she got cold feet and didn't really do anything, uh, but she's like a hot woman and acting all wild. Like it was definitely a dangerous situation to put herself in and who the hell knows. Now, obviously, this is the type of person who really appeals to a certain set of American society, a society that's going on in New York City at this time where everyone wants to have these wild parties with interesting people. And she was like someone you kind of wanted at your party because you didn't know what the fuck she would do. Right. So she's going to parties with Salvador Dali, Tennessee Williams, like big name authors and artists and like just like cool kind of people of that period. And they fucking love Barbara because she's fucking crazy. She goes to parties where one one of the parties they said like the men at this party all got behind a screen that covered up their upper bodies and faces and just showed what was in their trousers and the wives in the party had to guess which one was their husband. <laughs> now that's a fun party game. Can you like I feel like that would be pretty easy. I don't you yeah. think you would know? I would know what my partner's dong looked like. But like what a weird I mean maybe if it's you're drunk it's harder. I also think it's just an excuse to see everyone else's wings. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the kind of shit these people were doing. They're rich, but they're definitely having these sort of wild antics happening at their parties. Uh, friends would also 
they would also go to like these, you know, European vacations, you know, when we were rich, everyone kind of all goes to the same place. Like we're going to Switzerland too. We'll be there. Let's have fucking parties wherever they go. I wish I had that kind of money. I know. And people would go like, there was a skiing holiday, obviously in Switzerland, because why not? So all of these rich people are there, you know, skiing together. And they said that uh, Bonnie used to, I'm sorry, Barbara used to get I keep wanting to call her Bonnie Bakley. I know. <laughs> I keep thinking that too. Uh, so they said that she would get like a wild animal on some of these like trips. Like she would go out into the snow and just start kind of howling at the moon kind of things and acting like a wild wolf, <laughs> like out in the snowy like Alps or wherever they were in Switzerland. So Brooks is like kind of simultaneously like horrified by her but obviously very like attracted to this side too like yeah. he said that that when she would come in to like the room after she was like howling you know she's like this beautiful tigress he described her as and they they would wrestle naked in a hotel bathroom because like she'd get mad about things like he wouldn't take her to her favorite restaurant and they'd wrestle naked, <laughs> naked in the bathroom uh and he's, he claims, here's a, here's a quote from him. I held Barbara down with a foot on her chest while she sank her strong white teeth as deep as she could into my calf. It looked at least, it took at least a half hour for the adrenaline to burn out of her veins. So she's like a fucking wild woman. Right. In August of 1946, Barbara gives birth to their son, Anthony Bakeland. Um, and from the beginning, they definitely doted on this child as if he was the world's most special gifted child that has ever been born into the world. Um, And this is something they really bonded over. Like they kind of had a troubled marriage and obviously very erratic marriage, but this child they both agreed was the best thing that had ever happened in this this world. This was the child that's going to fix their marriage. I don't even know if it was that. It was just kind of like, this is it. Like we both agree this, this is the the bee's knees, this kid, like that was their, their thing at that point. But they still neglected him, so I'll get into that a bit. Um, they basically would talk, like, sort of, you know, trot him out to impress all of their friends. Here's our boy genius. Like, they- oh, so well, you're not saying. I mean, like, because I was just trying to get the distinction. Like, obviously, like every like people who give birth, like they usually like love their kid. But they thought this he was is like next a, level. They thought he was like a prodigy. Yes, they okay. thought he was like a child prodigy. Like. Yeah, it's not that it's not like a parent love like okay. everyone thinks their kid is great. They literally thought he was a child. Like they were bringing him out to play. Like here's a story like it reminds me of like I knew this family and their son and the mom was like insane and she they were family friends with Yehudi Menen, Menuhin, the famous like violin is he a violin player? Or, I, don't I can't know. remember. He's a very famous musician and they brought out their son who had been taking piano lessons to play for him and oh it was God. literally like a 4-year-old like cling clong <laughs> Like, it's that level of delusion. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, he doesn't care. Like, this is a child. This is not a prodigy. Whatever. So it's kind of that kind of thing. So so (laughs) they wanted him to be seen as a genius. Um, So some of the stories people told was once they ordered their uh, Anthony to come out and read aloud from the Marquis de Sade's erotic writings. Come on. How old was he? <laughs> He's a child. That's like, unfair. Very young child. Uh, some some people were really uncomfortable with their antics with this child and they would, they would uh, kind of leave the scene because they kind of felt like he was a little unbalanced. And he probably was already starting to feel that way because yeah. his parents were crazy. One... Uh, person said that they saw him pulling the wings off a fly. Um, so they started noticing kind of sadistic behavior. That's kind of can be common in children, but definitely something that you kind of are disturbed by, I think. So uh, when Tony was eight, uh, his parents actually moved to Europe to kind of just, you know, flounce about Europe for a while. They had kind of burned through everything in New York and they wanted to get some more attention and like party people in Europe. So they're in Europe. Uh, Barbara is, you know, all about having those important guests over to their new home. And they had, it's kind of in the south of France. Um, They had like Greta Garbo over and other like famous writers, um, including, um, not not another writer, but like the Heineken Dutch beer baron like would come over right like and Dubonnet who is like another liqueur I'm serious like rich people just all know each other it seems like yeah so they're in this new set now like like 
Anthony or Tony, he would play with Princess Yasmin, who was the daughter of Rita Hayworth and her husband, uh, Ali Khan, who was a prince. So they're like just in high society no matter where they go. Um, Now, Barbara was also described as a very possessive and needy mother. You can just picture picture it, right? Like that kind of gross, absolutely absolutely awful mother. And as I mentioned earlier, they were really neglectful. Like despite the fact that they put him on this pedestal, they still were off trotting and doing their own life and like leaving him alone a lot of times. And people really started just kind of seeing that this kid was really sad and lonely. Uh, He did have like, he was really attractive. He got his parents good looks. He was kind of charming, but people really saw this turmoil sort of boiling underneath. A friend of the family and saw him in Italy at some point, and Tony is about 12 years old. He said, we saw him alone on the rocks playing with crabs and pulling them apart. <gasps> in, in hindsight, it was an awfully uh, creepy little episode, but his parents didn't really pay much attention to Tony. Um, other other family friends worried about his behavior. Um, they said that he started having like a pronounced stutter and that psychiatrists uh, at the time said it could be an attention-getting device. Um, so he just started having all these signs. Um, one other family friend said that they had recently had a baby. Uh, this is a quote. Our son Thaddeus had just been born, so we had two months supply of baby food with us. And suddenly we noticed that there were strange gaps in the rows of pots. A few days later, a peasant girl was looking after our son and she said to us, it's Mr. Tony. I've seen him do it. He comes in at night when the baby is asleep and steals his baby food. <gasps> so that's like... I mean, obviously the baby's not going to starve to death, but it's kind of like a creepy little thing to do. And he was probably maybe a little jealous of the baby, right? Like, and just kind of doing that kind of thing. Now, some other things started sort of coming out about Tony. Um, He would eventually tell psychiatrists that he had his first homosexual encounter at boarding school when he was just eight years old. And by the age of 14, he was actively seeking sex with other men or males, it's probably not great to have sexual experience that young, no matter what. Like, yeah. There's something wrong, I think. Or it, it can be normal, I guess. It's but alarming. It's a little bit Eight of alarming. Eight years old is alarming. Yeah. And that sort of escalated because he just started really sort of, his sexualization became like a an aggressive thing. Like he would really try to pick up older boys on the streets. Like he was always kind of perusing for sex, which is sort of just odd for a 14 year old boy to be doing at this point, Brooks, his dad, um, he's like, sees this behavior and he kind of is like, uh, you know, I had suspected for a while he might be gay. Um, he is quoted as saying, Tony's homosexuality homosexuality was a terrible shock to his mother who fought against it with him ferociously. She simply could never accept it. Now, around the same time, Brooks is really, he's always had affairs, but he's really like wanting out of this marriage. So his affairs are kind of becoming more emotional. uh, And he starts having really serious things with like women at this point. They go back to Paris at some point. In 1963, he falls in love um, with a a diplomat's daughter who is 15 years younger than him. He asks Barbara for a divorce, and she takes an overdose. Now, she does survive, and he kind of feels guilty and stays with her and is like, I'll never leave, uh, that kind of thing. Barbara does use suicide a lot to kind of, I don't want to say manipulate, but it is a thing she does a lot, like threatens to kill herself Mm -hmm. or does actually make like sort of minor attempts, like nothing really serious at this time. Um, But still that's kind of alarming. People describe having like dinner with them at this time um, at one dinner party that Jessica Tandy is at. She's like a famous actress. If you don't know who she is, Uh, Barbara said, guess where I was at five this morning? And they were like, the dinner party people were like, where? And she's like, at Bellevue Hospital. And she shows them the bandages on her wrist that she had cut her wrist. So she was kind of like used it as like even like a party like story. I'm so uncomfortable right now. That honestly reminds me of like a joke that I would have said when I was like 30 days sober. Oh, really? so embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah, because like I was insane. Yeah. And thought probably would have thought that was hilarious. Well, like thinking like you're shocking people, but like I don't care. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) it's it's funny. (laughs) It's funny. It's not totally sad. Yeah. So she also at this point was like, I'm still attractive. 
to other men. Like, you're not the only one who can have affairs. So she starts having an affair with a Spanish physicist. This kind of backfires her on her because Brooks is like, great, <laughs> if you want a divorce to marry your boyfriend, I'll give you a monthly allowance. Like, right. he's trying to get out of get out of this marriage. This wasn't something that was going to make yeah, him jealous. It didn't make him jealous. He was thrilled about it. So then she ends the relationship. Uh, her reason for ending the relationship is that he couldn't even park a car properly and she didn't like his feet. It's like, no, <laughs> you didn't want to get divorced. So he continues having affairs. Barbara continues threatening suicide. In 1967, this is sort of the this sets, This is where a lot of these events sort of set off this whole fucking awful scene that comes later. Now, they're in this this summer of 1967. They're in a Spanish resort called Cadiz, uh, and it's there that uh, Tony meets a man named Jake Cooper, who was an Australian vacationing there at the time, uh, the same time as the family. Now. He's there with a woman who I think is his lover or girlfriend. She describes Jake as being a devil and that he has a sort of supernatural power over people. This is Jake's girlfriend that he's with? Yes, that's how she's describing him. He's like very tall and handsome, and he definitely uh, has a witchy way about him. He is sometimes called Black Jake by people like in his little circle, which is, I love that this is so like old school goth or something, like before goth was even a thing. He wears a silver uh, earring. He uh, takes like drugs and magic mushrooms. He has um, bones sewn onto a vest that he wears that he refers to as amulets. And he's rumored to practice black magic. What year is this? 1967. So funny. So... Uh, so there's like a definite like a cult vibe and like there are rumors that he's killed people like he has this like vibe going on that of course people are wildly attracted to of course so Tony at this time is is 21 so he's an adult now and he's really drawn to this guy Black Jake um he apparently feeds Tony a lot of drugs and Tony, they become, they have this like really weird obsessive uh, relationship and he kind of treats Tony as his little creature and like whatever. Like he's going to groom him. Yeah. It's kind of a creepy thing. And like, as I said, there's lots of drugs going on, like hallucinogenic drugs. Tony's mother is obviously freaked out about this and she goes to rescue him at some point. Um, As they're, I think that they had crossed the border at some point. So she goes to rescue him. Oh, wait. Yeah, I think he took him across the Spanish border and like all the way to Switzerland. So she goes to get him. And as they're crossing the border, um, she gets into a huge fight with the uh, border guards because they don't have, uh, Tony didn't have his passport. So Mm -hmm. of course she freaks out because she's rich. And like, of course, why would you ever question our motivations? She gets into a fight with the cross, you know, the border crossing guards, kicks, spits at them. The immigration officials are like freaking out. They call in like authorities and these two spend the night in jail. Now, a friend of theirs said that while Barbara and Tony were being dragged off by the police, uh, Barbara said to her son. They're both handcuffed and being led away. Here you are, darling, at last, manacled to mummy. <laughs> they were like handcuffed together. And this was like a dream come true to her, I guess. Gross. It's such a creepy, gross uh, thing. So now at this time, Barbara has obviously destroyed this relationship between her son and Black Jake. There's another relationship uh, she's going to re- destroy pretty soon. Uh, she... Tony also had begun seeing this girl named Sylvie, who was around his age. This obviously thrilled Barbara because um, he was having a girlfriend, and she literally could not stand that he was homosexual. Like, it killed her, Rachel. <laughs> like, like it was like an obsession with her to right. get him to not be gay. Uh, so she's thrilled that he's seeing this Sylvie. She's inviting Sylvie over. Like, she's really grooming Sylvie to be Tony's girlfriend. Um, but... Sylvie begins having an affair with her husband. That she's around so much. (laughs) Wait, Sylvie begins having an affair with With Barbara's husband. So with her boyfriend's dad. Yes. Okay. Now, Barbara obviously didn't know about this right away. Uh, She didn't find out until the following February. And I liked you so much. (laughs) How dare you? And then, obviously, what does Barbara do? She attempts suicide again, taking an overdose of sedatives and washing them down with vodka. Brooks, at this point, really does not want to go back to Sylvie. 
And at the same time, Sylvie also takes an overdose of drugs oh because God. she's devastated if Brooks leaves her. Oh my so God. he has two women who are both going to threaten suicide and, and have attempted suicide if he leaves them. What a mess. So now he really has like a Sophie's choice on his hands. <laughs> like oh my one God. of these women will be suicidal if he leaves them. So I think this is finally the push he needed to get out of the marriage. He decides he's going to leave Barbara finally and stay with Sylvie. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So she is obviously devastated, um, but he's pretty sure he's made the right choice. Before they separated, Barbara told Brooks, you know, I could get Tony over his homosexuality if I just took him to bed. This is... um, a quote from uh, Brooks's sister, so her sister-in-law, Elizabeth Bankland. She says that to her sister-in-law, that the one way she can cure her son is if she herself fucks him. That's that's not going to do anything good. So Brooks said, don't you dare do that, Barbara. Uh, (laughs) And let me just say, Barbara did not take that warning seriously or at all. So... After the divorce, she and Tony spend the summer of 1969 in uh, Majorca. 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 And they're living it up, drinking and partying together, having fun. Barbara and her son. Barbara and her son, Tony. (laughs) Now, she's still a very attractive woman and she's very charming. And this is. This is where and when supposedly she did fuck her son while they're on this vacation. Now, she uh, is not ashamed of this at all, Rachel. She's convinced that she's done the right thing, and she even tells people about it, like, kind of bragging to people. I love, like, picturing Barbara at some, like, hoity-toity, highfalutin (laughs) dinner party, and she's like, so anyway, I was fucking my son. Right. They're like, wow, she is crazy. (laughs) We heard that she had good stories at dinner parties, but this is next level, right? Like, so... I mean, here's some things like people uh, said about her, you know, talking about this. Barbara called me and told me she had slept with Tony. I said to her, I didn't think it was such a bad thing. I was trying to remove guilt. But now that I think about it, there wasn't any expressed. (laughs) Like he was trying to make her feel less guilty. But that he was like, well, but she actually wasn't wasn't guilt ridden like. Oh my God. That's yeah. like the friend like, well, I guess, you know, we can't yeah. judge people. <laughs> right. She was very honest about it. She said she had done it to break him of his homosexual tendencies. Well, that's a great uh, reason. Yeah. She talked about it as though it was a therapeutic act. I mean, come on. This is just, there's so much wrong with this. There's so much wrong with it's it. It's really awful. Now, later that summer, Brooks comes to the area where they're staying and fucking with Sylvie, his new, uh, I don't know if they're married at this point, but they do get married eventually. And I assume she's much younger than him. Well, because she was trying to set him up with the son. Right. I'm just saying. I'm just reiterating. (laughs) Yeah. Sylvie's young. So they're both fucking young people, but only one is related to the person they're fucking. Oh, my God. So Barbara obviously gets like all fucking internet stocky like they're fucking staying here like where are they like yeah kind of that kind of thing and tony actually begins visiting his dad and the dad almost immediately notices like his mental turmoil is next level i'm like, sorry i just can't get over like how do you fuck someone that your son's also been in <laughs> that is so revolting to i me. mean there's a lot of revolting things happening yeah. right now rachel it's hard to pick so Sylvie describes this period. She says it was very uncomfortable, very hard. He left messages for Brooks in our flower pots. I found one. It said, Daddy, please, Daddy, come back to Mommy. She's so unhappy. He acted like a little eight-year-old. I mean, that's just... Wait. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Who left those notes? Tony would leave these notes to in Brooks. their flower pot- pots to his dad. And he's 21. You know what I mean? Like oh, This is man. not a little boy. This kid is really emotionally fucked up. Yeah. He also starts having like fits of rage in front of people now. So people are really starting to notice this kind of escalated behavior. Um, One friend saw him smash a typewriter. Um, He mangles some steps that lead down to a cellar. Um, Barbara kind of just always covers it up like, oh, he was upset about something and he brutalized the house. Like she's kind of making uh, excuses for him. Making excuses for her angry boyfriend. Right. Exactly. Uh, she, he also wants to try to write poetry, like, and she's like sending it to famous writers and poets, like kind of the similar thing to when right. he was young. Like, look at my son is writing poetry. She definitely was like, someone describes her as a great smoother over. Like she's constantly smoothing over this kind of awful behavior from right. her son, but it continues to get worse. Now they eventually go back to New York for a brief period. And then during a dinner party there, he, Uh, leaves the room where people are having dinner and he comes out completely naked and he just kind of streaks from one end of the apartment to the other. Tony, yeah. So was the mom like, do you see that dick? You see that? (laughs) Isn't that a great dick? (laughs) That's my dick. Uh, Then she's like, I have to go get some D. No, I don't know if they're still fucking here. But uh, he also enrolls in a New York art school and it just like keeps going, this bad behavior. He's fucking up in school Everyone's painting like, you know, still lifes in art class. And he's doing those scary black circles he's over and over. doing disturbing figures with blood dripping out their sides. This is and like, like such a, I'm sorry, <laughs> that is like such a cliche. It's like the disturbed child. You know what? But he did it first. <laughs> he's like the OG, like troubled, The troubled child teen. who yeah. takes the crayons and makes a bunch of like black and red marks yeah. on it. So he's drawing this disturbing imagery, um, which I'm sure back then was even more crazy. Now we're kind of expecting people to kind of want to shock us. But Barbara once again dismisses this, you know, strange behavior. She she describes her son as being a misunderstood genius who was never <laughs> meant to work and toil in this sick society. So, you know, she's working overtime on this uh, denial. Tony also begins telling friends things like, here's a quote, I am fucking my mother. I don't know what to do. I feel desperate. 
So I guess he is still fucking his mother. I mean, that's a, quite a sentence to, to say out loud. <laughs> um, Barbara at this time also begins taking some uh, classes. She takes a creative writing class where she writes a vivid account of a mother's sexual relationship with her son. Stop it. Yeah. So at some point, she invites students from this writing group back to the apartment, and uh, they find photographs that she had taken of her son lying out on the um, floor for everyone to see. And one of the visitors said, what struck me was the way the camera just dwelled on the beauty of this young man. They were not the sort of pictures a mother would normally take of her son. So people are also seeing portraits painted by Tony of his mother decapitated with serpents entwined around her neck, hanging like in the apartment. Uh, at some point, Barbara is forced to admit that there might be serious problems with Tony. <laughs> so it takes her a while to get there, but she finally does get there and she starts to kind of fear for her own safety because he's acting more and more delusional and agitated. Uh, she does admit, uh, arrange for him to be admitted to a private psychiatric clinic. He is diagnosed basically with a poor prognosis. Although he has that prognosis, he's discharged six weeks later because Barbara couldn't afford the treatment anymore. Brooks had really cut down her alimony and support, so she kind of was struggling with money at this point. And he kind of rejected Tony's, the idea that Tony was mentally ill. Like he didn't want to pay for it, basically. Uh, So he said his son was a personification of evil and there was nothing that they could really do. To help him. Honestly, that was sort both of, these parents suck. <laughs> they're awful. Uh, after he's released from this treatment facility, he does uh, kind of relapse. I guess he has a little bit of an improvement, but then he does relapse. And he beats Barbara unconscious with a heavy wooden walking cane uh, one night. Tony. Tony beats his mom with a heavy wooden walking cane one night. Oh, my night. God. Uh, and that some one of her divorce lawyers tries to help her, and he knocks him out too with his walking cane. So his his sort of troubles are now escalating to physical violence. So after he beats his mom up, he is diagnosed as having schizophrenia. Finally, so the local hospital recommends that he should be sent to a private mental institution. But as I mentioned before, the dad still refuses to pay for this treatment or put his son up in a facility like this. Tony gets back uh, into Barbara's care and he almost immediately at the next dinner party. I mean, I love that Barbara's still throwing dinner parties at this point, but she is the level of denial. Yeah. So she throws a dinner party at this dinner party. Tony smashes an egg into her face at the party. Uh huh. I mean, and threatens her with a knife. If this was, wasn't serious the smashing of the egg would be kind of funny yeah he also threatens with her threatens her with a knife in front of the guest and attempts to choke her <gasps> while people are there so everyone's witnessing this yeah that so i mean barbara's crazy. eccentric behavior is not like the dinner parties that they want to go to anymore right. basically so yeah eventually they move to london and Tony gets more and more violent and unpredictable. He atten- continues to attack his mom. He um, attempts to blind her by sticking a pen in her eye. Um, one night, a journalist accompanies her home, and they're like having a drink. Tony comes out. He's only wearing shorts, and he has a large kitten knife, kitchen knife in his hand. Uh, the guest described him as ranting about the room, gesturing wildly. He vanishes like as quickly as he appears. Um, And this guy says, the understatement of the century would be to say that I was startled. By August of 1972, Tony is often found in catatonic trances, clutching and swaying, like that kind of stuff. Barbara does arrange for him to see another psychiatrist at this point. He confirms that Tony is suffering from schizophrenia. Uh, Barbara is also kind of being neglectful. He does get prescribed me- medications that she's not really on top of making sure he treats. Oh, man. Uh, he takes them. Uh, takes them. The psychiatrist who does sort of reconfirm this diagnosis, he says to Barbara, your son is going to kill you. I think you're actually at grave risk. Barbara replies to him, I don't. Now, the psychiatrist is so concerned that he actually calls the Chelsea police station to kind of warn them that this guy is in the vicinity and not being treated for this kind of behavior. He said that he um, also told them that he thought something was going to happen at 81 Cadogan Square, which is where they lived, and that they should maybe think of putting a guard by there to make sure that something doesn't get out of control. Uh, That's how concerned he was. Wow. 
She invites a friend to go to lunch with her who is also very concerned about Tony's um, appearances. And he, while she was over, he attempted to throw his mother under a car while they were standing on the street. She said that uh, he had painted his shoes and all of his clothes with gold stars. He just uh, sat there, rocked back and forth with his arms across his chest. She also tells Barbara that she's concerned. And Barbara once again dismisses her fears and says, he'll never harm me. Everyone is seeing this situation and pretty much worried for Barbara's safety in life, except for Barbara. Like She really doesn't think this guy, her son, is going to do anything to her. On November 17th, 1972, Barbara left her apartment at 1 p.m. to have lunch with a Russian princess named Missy Harnden. Around 3.30 p.m., she gets up to leave lunch, um, and she said to her friend that her son, Tony, was cooking dinner for her that evening, and she wanted to get home. At 7 uh, 7 p.m. that night, Missy answers the phone, and it's a call from the Chelsea police station. They're inquiring uh, of Missy the last time... uh, as to the time when Barbara arrived and departed the lunch that they went on that afternoon. Um, she's kind of confused why. And then they tell her that they wanted to find out what happened in the last hours of her life. And that's how she finds out that her friend was now dead and had been murdered by her son. So that's kind of how she finds wow. out. Like they're literally just calling her to get information as a witness. They don't like call this. Like, hey. Yeah. Now, now at this point, Missy is starting to like think about other things. Apparently there was like a cocktail party they were all at the night before the murder. Um, and she said that Tony was acting really weird that night, staring around, acting bright eyed and strange and kind of staring off into space and like kind of just doing that kind of weird stuff. Barbara, she said Barbara at the cocktail party talked about him like nonstop, how wonderful he was, how much he loved London, their lives was so happy, like going on and on and on about like how wonderful their life in London had been. Um, Missy said that at that party, she couldn't bring herself to say anything, that she had noticed this bad, this weird behavior with Tony because of Barbara's over the top joy. She's Mm kind of like didn't want to shit on it, I guess. Like, right. But then obviously she says uh, she regretted that for like ever. Like she regrets not saying anything, obviously. Now what happened was uh, after Barbara returned to the apartment that they shared, she found Tony at home with their cat, Mr. Wuss. That's that's the name of their cat, Mr. Wuss. That's a cute name. (laughs) I know. Uh, And their maid was there also. So he walks in, Mr. Wuss is there. The maid is ironing in the dining room. Um, This is according to Tony's confession. That's how we know this information. He says that uh, one of his mom's friend called while she was out, and he had invited um, that friend to come over that evening. When Barbara came home and he told her this, she was upset uh, because she didn't want her friend to come over, and her and Tony got into an argument. The argument became so intense that the maid actually was so frightened she ran from the apartment because Tony was so scary to her and so angry. She actually ran out of the apartment. Uh, According to Tony, I think my mind was slightly, slightly wacky and I was very much under my mother's powerful influence. I felt as though she were controlling my mind. Um, So obviously his recollections of what happened are a little all over the place. Um, but it's the only um, witness, eyewitness we have, right. unfortunately. So so he says that at some point he remembers hitting Barbara and that she ran into the kitchen. He follows her into the kitchen where he picks up a knife that was lying out on the table and he stabs, it, stabs her with it one time. She falls to the floor and he calls an ambulance. He says, it took hours to come and by the time it did, my mother was dead. It was horrible. I held her hand and she would not look at me or speak to me. Then she died. Now, the paramedics obviously alert the police that this is a crime. They arrive to find Barbara lying in the kitchen on her back, a single, single stab wound uh, near her heart that basically severed one of her main arteries, so she bled out. Tony, they said when they came, was in the phone, on the, in the, bed, on the, phone, in the bedroom, ordering Chinese food. Oh, my God. Um, it yeah. is crazy to me. They live in London, and it took the ambulance hours to arrive. Yeah, that was confusing to me, but that's what the article said. Um, By the way, this is an article. There's a lot of Daily Mail articles I use. They have a ton of stuff on this if you want to read them more. Um, So yeah, he 
They also said, this made me really sad. He said, um, the cop said, he appeared completely unconcerned that Mr. Wuss was hiding in terror under the bed. I was like so devastated when I read that. I was like, Mr. Wuss. Is the cat okay though? Like did the cat survive? Yeah, the cat survived, but I mean, I don't know where it went or what happened to it. And obviously that was in 1972. So I know, but I was worried. I know. (laughs) No, nothing happened to the cat. Okay. But yeah, that was like a sad little detail. Aww. I was like, I'm glad someone thought to tell us where Mr. Wuss was because <laughs> I would have been worried. I'm glad he was at least under the bed, terrified rather than another choice. So Tony's taken to the police station, obviously. There he says that his mom was actually stabbed by her mother, Nene Daly, who was thousands of miles away in New York City. So obviously right. not the person who did this. He also said to the detective, it all started when I was three or five and I fell off my pogo stick. Now, I mean, it's just, he's just all over the place. Friends began uh, visiting him in jail. He would ask questions like, how's my mother? Is she well? So he kind of would act like she wasn't dead, things like that, which are obviously kind of creepy. He also would then speak though, a feeling that a great weight had been lifted off of his shoulders. Now, as horrible, horrible as this crime is, like you can see <laughs> how that might feel for him. Like it's such a weird fucked up thing. Cause it probably was a relief to ha- be out of her fucking like control. Well, finally. and also like, he was being sexually assaulted by his mother. I mean, it's a lot of fucked up things. Like the whole murder is obviously awful and he needed treatment and it should have happened. But at the same time, it's like, I can see like how you probably felt relieved finally to get the fuck away from her. I'm Although there are better ways to do it. Like, right. Yeah. It's like a sad, it's just it's a fucked, fucked up. up on several levels. And he was not, this is someone who was not getting the care that he needed. Right. Now people started trying to defend him. And one friend said that he had killed Barbara because she threw, um, the collar of a long dead pick, Pat Pickenese of his out the window. It was like a memento he had right. saved since childhood and that sort of set him off. I don't know if that's true, but he did have a lot of defenders. Like I will say that and I'll get into it. So he eventually goes kind of on trial for this at the old Bailey. He's defended by John Mortimer, who's a very famous lawyer. He created the, um, the fictional lawyer or barrister Rumpel. Like, mm-hmm. so he's a famous, he's a big time lawyer. Um, he described Tony as being very gentle and all of that kind of stuff. He really wanted to get him sent back to the US for psychiatric treatment and yeah. not spend his life in prison. Tony was found guilty of manslaughter with diminished responsibility and sent to Broadmoor uh, for an indefinite sentence. Now, Tony did kind of get feel happy there. I mean, he's in sort of a place where he's finally getting some treatment. So he does a lot of things like uh, doing crafts. He starts having some sort of sexual relations with male inmates. He has a lot of visitors, including um, actress Patricia Neal, who was one of the his parents' close friends. So she comes and visit him. His maternal grandmother, Nini, who he accused of doing the crime, does come and visit him. And someone described her as being less disturbed by the daughter's death than the fact that her Tony was in trouble. Wow. So he is getting like a lot of uh, sympathetic uh, stuff from people. Now, Nini, as I mentioned before, was also troubled. She had several nervous breakdowns and she was also in therapy. So she's, you know, she's uh, definitely a little off as well. But she refuses to believe that Tony could ever do anything wrong. Um, and that this is unfair. Her, she, he should not be detained at all. Um, and he probably, according to this at the time, he would have stayed in this Broadmoor uh, prison or facility, treatment facility. But this group of supporters really believed that um, that was the end. He killed his mother and he was incapable of ever committing any kind of violence again. Uh, so they kind of led this campaign to get him released so he could go home to New York. Um, they truly believed that the mom was it. Like that was his thing. Now that she's gone, he's not going to do anything else. Um, Tony's father Brooks is adamant that his son should not be released. He has uh, a new son now. Um, he's living in New York and he doesn't want his fucking son coming into his life now with his new family, that kind of thing. And what year is this? Um, I think it's 1973. So Brooke, Wait, wait, no, no, it's 1980. July so of 1980. Brooks has a new family. Yes. So Brooks also starts at that point, um, 
he like starts making uh, toys for his new brother in the craft shop. That's obviously Tony very does. Tony does <laughs> making so making toys for his little brother Aww. that are very disturbing and oh. grotesque and macabre. Oh. So Brooks is not like a hundred percent wrong here, thinking it's a bad idea. Yeah. to have him back in his life. What are he, the toys he's making? I don't know. I wish I could find. I imagine, They're just described as macabre. I just imagine these like <laughs> Tim Burton. Yeah. Toys. Or like dolls that have the heads ripped off yeah. or like stuff like that. Now, Brooks is also getting abusive letters from Tony threatening to murder his new wife. So, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, despite all of this, um, he does get permission to finally fly back to New York. Um, he is escorted by two trained medical escorts. And uh, he moves back in with his uh, grandmother, Nini. So they live in a tiny apartment on New York's Upper East Side at this point. And she's there. She's in her 80s. So she's like a very elderly woman. She's actually recovering from broken hip. And she kind of needs round-the-clock care herself. So she's taking in this. I mean, it's like a bad situation, right? Yeah. She has a nurse that comes in to kind of help her care for herself because Tony's obviously not doing much for her. So uh, around this time, this is like July, Tony is kind of in this this apartment with his grandmother. It's really small. New York is experiencing a really hot, extreme heat wave. So the apartment is fucking hot as hell. Yeah. At 9 a.m. on Sunday, July 27th, this is six days after Tony has arrived from Broadmoor, um, the nurse that was working for his grandmother, Nini, uh, her name is Lena Richard. She arrives at the apartment that day to begin her shift. Now, she uh, doesn't have her key anymore because she had to give it to Tony. So she's sitting at the door waiting, knocking at the door, waiting to be let in. There's no reply. She rings the doorbell. Eventually, Tony comes to the, do- the door wearing only a pair of shorts. He says to her, Lena, quick, get the ambulance. I've just stabbed my grandmother. <gasps> Now, the nurse runs to a nearby, like, payphone, like, that's, you know, payphones are still happening, and calls the police. They enter the apartment, and they hear Nini shrieking with terror, and they see Tony rushing out of her bedroom towards them. He says to the police, she won't die, the knife won't go in, and she keeps screaming, I can't understand it. They obviously grab him and, like, throw him to the ground. They find Nini lying against the wall in the corner of the bedroom with blood soaking through her nightgown. She's been stabbed eight times and had multiple other injuries, including a a fractured collarbone and ribs. They wait for the ambulance to to arrive, and Tony is taken to the police station. He later says that he wanted to have sex with his grandmother just as he had with his mother. That's what he said caused his initial frustration, but... They found out later that the trigger was actually that she had tried to stop him from making a phone call to England, and he threw the phone at her and knocked her to the floor. So it started off with another sort of little fight that escalated Mm -hmm. into something horrible. Um, After he realized that he injured her by throwing throwing something at her, that's when he decided it was best to put her out of her misery, according to Tony. Uh, And he grabbed a kitchen knife and began stabbing her, but she wouldn't die. He told police, I hate it when this happens. Oh, my God. Um, Every blow that he landed on her struck bone, and that's why she survived. So she survived this attack um, just because he managed to not hit an artery, basically. uh, So he's charged with attempted murder and sent to Rikers Island. Now, it was pretty well known that he had come into a trust fund Like he did have this minor trust fund. So prisoners all kind of knew this to kind of like, oh, this is the rich kid, right? And they began kind of like preying on him to get money for stuff. Within a few months, he had given away almost all of that money as sort of protection money and as gifts to keep uh, people from harming him. He also began having sexual relationships with people, uh, including one of the male guards, supposedly. Oh, he also had an, a relationship with an inmate who had raped and decapitated a young boy. Oh so he's my having God. like fucked up relationships. As I mentioned before, how he kind of found this peace at Broadmoor, he also kind of began having this life that felt really comfortable to him. I think he, it's like he had structure. Do you know what I mean? Like how sometimes that can help people, even though it's in this horrible situation. He started finding peace being in, in Rikers Island, you know, whatever. On March 20th, uh, 19... 
81, he was taken to court for a preliminary hearing, and he learned that his trial would not take place for another month because he was waiting for his medical records to come from the UK. He was hoping that he would get bail and be released, but that application was refused, so he was sent back to Rikers. A little more than half an hour after returning to his cell at 3.30 p.m. that day, he was found dead in his bed, suffocated by a carrier bag that had been placed over his head. Now, his father, Brooks, believed that his son had been murdered. Uh, I think because he had mentioned that he had been threatened by this relationship, having that relationship with the guard and other other inmates kind of were always after him and threatening him to get more money. Uh, But most people were convinced that it was suicide. You know, like that was sort of what he was officially, it was officially called. Um, And then obviously people make a lot of, you know, drama or like irony about the fact that uh, he died by a plastic bag. That was what his grandfather, the plastic that his grandfather invented. So it was like a sick full That's circle. That's thing that people say? Yes. That he died by like what made his family wealthy, the plastic. I don't know. I Rachel. feel like that's a stretch. I don't know. Plastic's so ubiquitous. <laughs> right. It could have been anything. It's not like... Well, you don't usually die by plastic. <laughs> I'm just saying, if his grandfather had invented the can opener and he died by a can opener, that would be like weird, right? Do you know what Rachel, I mean? We're trying to have a moment here. Oh, I don't. Let's. We'll, we'll have <laughs> you another believe moment. In astrology. Okay. Um, his dad. <laughs> you know what? I don't. I don't really believe in astrology. I kind of believe in astrology. But that's why we're, we're trying to have fun with that moment. Like, wow, he died by what had made him. <laughs> Come on, Rachel. Jesus. Uh, his, dad, his dad upon his death said that it was, Tony was an enormous failure of intelligence. So that was sort of his take on the whole thing. That's kind of the end of the story, but let's get a little bit into the movie. I just have a few things I want to say about it. So the movie, as I mentioned earlier, is called Savage Grace. Um, it basically tells the story of Barbara and Tony like after the divorce between the parents. So like when the shit really started hitting the fan, it stars, as I said, Julianne Moore, Eddie Redmayne Pitt plays Tony. Uh, and there's another character in the movie that's played by Hugh Dancy. And that's one of, he plays one of Barbara's former lovers named Samuel Adams Green, who's basically like an art world type person. Yeah. Um, now the interesting thing about, there's a scene in this movie that is like probably one of the most shocking scenes in the movie. And it's when Barbara, her son and her lover, Samuel all have a three way together. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Okay. Now, did that happen in real life? Okay. I'm going to get into that. Now, Samuel Green is still alive, by the way, when this movie comes out. Oh, my God. Uh, And he's not happy about that scene. He wrote a huge op-ed that's in the Daily Mail, so you can find the whole thing. It's really long. I wanted to get more details from it, but it's literally like him talking about his prestigious art career. Like he even yeah. like name drops like Yoko Ono. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, it goes through like, and then I was with, you know, um, Andy Warhol. And then it's like, there's another passage. It's like, many people thought Yoko, I was like, tell me about the fucking t- three way. Right. <laughs> I don't care about Yoko Ono. I don't care right about your dinner moment. with Keith Haring. Let's yeah. So it's like, most it. of it is like trying to make sure we all know how important he is. Of like he's that type of guy. So I'm just going to read this section he wrote specifically about the movie. Like the only few paragraphs I really wanted to see after reading a hundred paragraphs. He said um, that he had put the Barbara and Tony Bakelin episode behind him until he saw Savage Grace. Of course, filmmakers always embellish the truth, and that is very different from pure invention. In the film, you hear Tony Bakelin, played by Eddie Redmayne, talking about me. He says, he's a homosexual walker who spends his time tending the needs of very rich women. Although I never married, this is untrue and a slur. I think this element of the film may have come from an unpublished piece of fiction written by Barbara in which the heroine seduces her own son, then her son's male friend, and then discovers her son and the friend having sex. I read Barbara's manuscript in 1970 and wrote to her, I cannot think why anyone would be interested in the self-indulgent ramblings of a mad international wastrel. (laughs) A savage dig, (laughs) a wastrel. Um, To watch 
the Sam Green in the movie played by British actor Hugh Dancy passionately kissed Tony turned my stomach. There was also an implication that I am somehow responsible for Barbara's murder because Tony becomes confused and unbalanced after the three-way incest scene. It's an outrageous suggestion. I will concede, I like this line, I will concede that I am brilliantly portrayed by Hugh Dancy. Dude, <laughs> this guy is incredible. a nightmare. He is stunningly well-dressed and looks exactly <laughs> as I did. <laughs> it's as if he raided my wardrobe from those days. He even talks like me, but that only serves to make the whole experience more profoundly unsettling. I admit, I may have led a life that is worthy of a movie, but not this one. <laughs> wow. So... This guy says he's not, he's straight, like not even bisexual or gay. This is like the longest no homo op-ed I've ever heard of in my life. Dude, the whole op-ed is so long. There might even be more juicy details, but quite honestly, like I would just zone out sometimes because the paragraphs were so self-serving and like obnoxious. Um, But yeah, so that's like, that would be the one thing that's been sort of seen as a discrepancy in that movie. Did that three-way ever happen? I mean, that's pretty brazen that they would put that in there when it's a real-life person. Yeah. Like, it's not like Knowing he's, that he's still alive. Yeah, like, it's not like it's a made-up character that, like, because, like, both of Right, these, or it's not even, I mean? like, loosely based on something. Anything. Yeah. That's no, it's like wild. That's, like, a pretty blatant... If that's not true, then that's a pretty crazy thing I think thing to he lie might about. have su- sued... I can't. I think I might have read that one place, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the rebuttal was pretty crazy. <laughs> the rebuttal's hilarious, but I get why. I, I will get, concede if if he didn't <laughs> actually if he didn't actually have that three way, then yeah, he has every right to be like up really upset and really mad. Well, especially considering that they kind of portray it as if that was sort of the inciting incident, like right. that was the last straw right. kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That's the story of Tony I mean, and Barbara Bakeland. That story really does have everything. It really is a VC Andrews novel. It's there's so much too. I feel like I didn't get to, but it's like you have to like cut things somewhere. Right. But right. like, there's a lot of information you can read online. As I said, there's like four really juicy Daily Mail uh, pieces you can read. Um, then there's lots of stuff on Reddit, uh, the Murderpedia. Actually, go to the Murderpedia play, uh, page for um, Tony Bakeland because I think all of the um, Daily Mail articles were clipped there as well, so you can find them easily there. And then the movie, I think the movie is also based on a book you can read. I mean, there's just like a lot you can read if you want to read more about this. Uh, like I said, it's kind of like one of my ideal type of stories. Same. Where there's just, even if the murder never happened... <laughs> Like there it's was a juicy lot without yeah, it. Yeah, like the crime is almost like the least interesting part, right? Because um, all I mean, I guess is everything a crime? Is it even in, is that a crime to fuck yes. your adult son, <laughs> Rachel? To fuck your large adult son <laughs> is that a crime? If it's your curvy wife, <laughs> <laughs> is it a crime for my son to fuck? I mean, my I curvy guess wife? incest is a crime. Yeah, but I think it's like but isn't state it by like state. not a crime in like. Alabama or something? No, there. I think it's a state by state thing. Because I do remember there was like some story I saw. I think it might be a true crime story where a father marries his daughter after Ugh. meeting her as an adult, dude. That is, and then like he a, kills her and her baby or something. Yeah, yeah. I, there was a story like that. I feel like it was kind of recent. Yeah, it's but that recent. apparently is like a phenomenon, like a real phenomenon that meeting happens. Meeting your dad, meeting your long lost family member, and that you have like never met or you last saw them when you were like a baby, and then you meet them, and then you like have a weird sexual attraction to them. Well, you can see how it happens, I think, because it's like they're so desperate for that love and approval, it kind of translates into sex. It's like your brain is like it's like the neurons go down some other weird pathway. Yeah. No, instead it's of up. like, it's like instead of like paternal love, it like gets crosswired well, with like sex love. I get the child getting that confusion, but the adult needs to get a fucking grip. They should fucking know <laughs> they better. They know better. Yeah. Like, they should know better. It's disgusting. Yeah. And I do not condone it, and it should be a crime. <laughs> like, it's wrong. I, I hate that it even has to be a crime because it there's very just- scientific reasons why you don't have that attraction with children and parents. Right. Because it's wrong. Because it's icky, Desi. It's fucking because icky. Because it's icky. Uh, so yeah, I do. I am kind of fascinated by those cases, even though they revolt me. Like, <laughs> um, I I love reading about those cases because they're 
That is so revolting. To yeah. Me. And, and I there's love- such a psychological element to it that's really interesting, though. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just a mess. No. But yeah, so that's that story. Uh, I will should have some good pictures, I think, for this Absolutely. one. Absolutely. So we'll put up a bunch of good ones. We will put up good pictures on so Instagram. So follow us on Instagram. Uh, Donate to our Patreon so we can go to Italy like these rich people do. Right. We want to go on a tour. We, we, won't, we, just we want- won't incest each other. <laughs> <laughs> we promise. You mean if we scissored, it yeah. would be incest? Oh. <laughs> Jesus, Rachel. I'm all like Pearl Kachi. I know. Um, what else I was going to say? Oh, yeah. Leave us an iTunes rev- review. Like five stars. Do we need reviews? I don't care if you say anything, but leave a re- five stars. Does that help us? I don't know. Fuck it. I feel like, you don't have to worry about it. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like we have a lot of reviews and it never did anything. Right. Okay. I so don't, don't leave a review. No, leave, keep leaving reviews because there's always someone who will leave like a one star review. Like, I didn't like that this was a comedy. She, said she laughed at incest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leave a review to so the haters don't have the top spot. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. All bye. right. Bye.